Thank you for taking time to listen to this week's message from Horizon West Church. You can find even more content, including video archives of this and other past messages at horizonwestchurch.com. And if you're in the Horizon West area, be sure to visit us sometime soon. Now enjoy this podcast from Horizon West Church. Chapter 19 is where we're going to be. I'm so grateful to be with you, friends. God is so good, and I know you know that. And as we uh, really wrap up this series together called Made for This, as Chris said, we're going to look at two what I think key characteristics of those who are following Jesus, especially in this season. Whether it be showing and telling our faith, whether it be prayer, more than anything I think right now that we're struggling with in this environment is God's people need to stand up and serve and give the people around us because here's what's happening. In the midst of this pandemic, in the midst of a crazy election season, what happens so often is we're seeing people withdrawing from one another, hoarding their resources, hoarding all their attention, their time, and keeping it to themselves and being unwilling often to serve people around them. And so we can step into a moment, step into a vacuum where the world may be running away, where you and I as followers of Jesus Christ, what we can do is step in and say, what I'm going to do with my life is I'm going to give and I'm going to serve those around me. One of our dear friends, Pastor David Youth at the John Young Campus says this often. He says, we are never more like Jesus than when we're giving and serving giving of ourselves and serving other people. And I want that to be the thesis statement this evening for us, for us to think about as we're driving through this passage. I want you to see what happens when men and women encounter Jesus Christ and can step into the void and the vacuum where others run away. Followers of Jesus say, I'm going to give and I'm going to serve. We are never more like Jesus than when we're giving of ourselves and we're serving others. Luke chapter 19, beginning in verse 1. Read along with me, but not out loud. That gets confusing. All right, here we go. Luke 19, starting in verse 1. He entered Jericho, that is Jesus, and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and he climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to that place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. That's Zacchaeus receiving Jesus. And when they saw it, that's the crowds around watching all this take place. The Bible says they all grumbled. And this is what they said as they're grumbling. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and he said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house since he is also a son of of Abraham in this beautiful mission statement, right? For the Son of Man came to do what? To seek and to save the lost. Let's pray over our time together just really quickly. Father God, thank you so much. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for your word. Thank you for constantly, constantly 
guiding and directing our hearts and our lives. And Lord, as we've already talked about last week and even already uh, tonight, the reality becomes this. You are at work in the uh, the world around us. Even when we don't see it, you're working. Even when we don't feel it, you're working. So, Lord, open up our hearts and our minds to join you in the work that you're doing. Lord, help us recognize that it's not about doing something glorious and grand and huge. It's about being faithful in the simple things. Faithful to walk obedience in anonymity. May that be the cry of our heart as your people. That we go where you say to go. We speak what you ask us to speak. We serve how you ask us to serve for your kingdom, for your glory alone. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. I love the story of Zacchaeus. And if you happen to grow up in church like I did, maybe you didn't, but it's because we always sing a song. Y'all know how it goes, right? Zacchaeus was what? A wee little man, right? No, wee little man was he. If you didn't grow up in church, it's okay. Nobody needs to sing that song anyway, but you don't have to grow up in church to see the beauty of the story. That there was instant life change when a sinful tax collector met a simple rabbi. Complete life change when Jesus encounters and Zacchaeus encounters Jesus. And I love this, not just because of the song, but because of what we see throughout the story. Now, here's the setup. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. Jericho is about 15 miles outside of the city of Jerusalem. And Luke, ever since the end of chapter nine, is bringing Jesus to Jerusalem for what will be the final week of his life. Right after this, Jesus goes into Jerusalem. He'll clean out the temple. He'll teach. He'll do some miracles. He'll speak to some people. He'll get oh, I don't know, chastised by all the religious leaders who will plot and scheme for his own death and destruction, he will be betrayed by one of his own. He will be beaten to a bloody pulp. He'll be executed on a Roman cross. He'll be buried in a borrowed tomb. And then he will be miraculously and gloriously raised back to life on Easter Sunday. It's about to be a busy week. And just outside of Jerusalem, where all of that awaits him, Jesus has this encounter. But here's something that's interesting that's happening here with this man named Zacchaeus. Now, we know he's a wee little man, but I like this because what Luke says, more than any other gospel, he he focuses a lot on wealth and poverty and how we are to be good stewards of our resources. And so he describes Zacchaeus in this way. Did you see it in verse 3? Verse 2, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, and he was what? A chief tax collector, and he was rich. Those two things go hand in hand because in the first century, in this time frame, and where Jesus is located in Jericho is a major city on two major trade routes heading into Jerusalem. It's a major city where tax collectors would be arbitrarily asking for taxes for people as they come into the city. Here's what's so ironic and so difficult for the Jewish people. Living under the Roman government of the time, tax collectors were Jewish men who worked for the Roman government whose job it was to go get money from their own people. And this is how they got rich. You probably know, you've probably heard this. If the tax was really arbitrarily set, but if the tax was $10 for Rome, well, the tax collector collected $15, pocketed five, and headed off to Starbucks. That's the way that it went. 
And then more than likely as a chief tax collector, where this is the only time it's ever referenced in the New Testament, as chief tax collector, it probably was not unlikely for what Zacchaeus did was not only skim off the top while he's collecting taxes, but he probably skimmed off the top of all the other tax collectors who brought their stuff to him. Are you following me? The man became wealthy by defrauding his own people. There's a reason why he couldn't get to Jesus. It wasn't just because he was short. It's because you're going to let the IRS guy get close to some of the things you want to see? Not at all. There's going to be a lot of elbows happening, a lot, a lot of disgruntled folks. Like, mm, mm, you're not getting close to Jesus. I'm sorry. Over and over and over, this is what's happening. But what I love what takes place in these verses is that something is already stirring in the spirit of Zacchaeus. I don't want you to miss it. Luke describes him as a chief tax collector who is rich and small in stature. But don't miss what Luke says about Zacchaeus. Look again in verse 3. The Bible says this, And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. Something is stirring in this man's spirit. Maybe he had already heard about this Jewish rabbi who was known to have dinner with some of the social outcasts who weren't part of the spiritual elite. Maybe he heard that Jesus really was a friend to sinners and he's identifying himself and recognizing I don't fit in with everybody else. Yeah, I may have a lot of wealth, but I'm not accepted among all these people here. And there's something different about that man. So he's not just a chief tax collector who was wealthy, profiting off his own people, but something is stirring in his Spirit. Here's the first truth that I just want to lay on us this evening. First truth is very simply this. When you and I have a genuine encounter with Jesus, we can't help but give generously. When you and I have a genuine encounter with Jesus, we can't help but give generously. Did you see what he said in verse 8? I love this. So, so Jesus calls him down right out of the tree says, I need to go to your house. This sign of acceptance and love and grace, and we'll get to that. And Zacchaeus, as everybody is grumbling, Zacchaeus turns around and he's like, he hears them grumbling. He says, no, 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 Lord. Listen, listen, God, th th this is what I'm going to do. Half of my goods I'm going to give to the poor. And anybody who I've defrauded, I'm going to pay back four times. Y'all know how many people he cheated? A lot. So what, friends, what would cause a man to willingly walk away from wealth, willingly put himself in harm's way financially in order to give restitution to people he's cheated? Here it is, one word, grace. What could cause that? The grace of Jesus. Can I show it to you? Say yes, because I'm going to do it anyway, but that's my love language. I need it, I need it, I need it. Here we go. When you and I have a genuine encounter with Jesus, you and I will give generously because watch this. When grace shows up, greed walks out. Every single time. Here's grace. Here's grace. I don't want you to miss this. The Bible says in verse five, 
Here's this tax collector who ran on ahead. Y'all do understand that that was not socially acceptable whatsoever for a grown man to run, much less climb into a tree and look ridiculous. It's not socially acceptable at all. And yet Jesus walks by, and I want you to see grace in action. Look at this. The Bible says in verse 5, when Jesus came to the place, I don't want to belabor this, and I don't want to hyper-spiritualize this, but Jesus could have gone anywhere. Jesus could have walked on by. But Luke specifically says that Jesus stopped right there when he came to the place. Why? Because grace always meets us right where we are. Every single time. But it wasn't this that grace meets us right where we are because Jesus came to the place. But Luke tells us this, that Jesus didn't just do that. He looked up. And friends, I I don't know if you need to hear this tonight, but I know that I do. It's not that grace just meets me where I am. It's not that grace just meets you where you are, but grace sees you exactly how you are, and that's okay. Grown man in a tree. Jesus stopped and looked up. And he opened his mouth to speak. And here's where my mind gets blown because I can't imagine what's going on in the mind of Zacchaeus when the rabbi stops. This man that folks are thinking might be the Messiah that they've been waiting for for all these years. And he stops in that moment when everybody else has elbowed left and right to keep him away from Jesus. He stops in what comes out of his mouth. He called Zacchaeus by name and invited him near to him. Instead of condemnation, what Zacchaeus heard was an invitation. That's grace. Grace meets you where you are, sees you how you are, speaks to you personally and calls you near and invites you in. That's grace. Grace is God doing for us what we could never do for ourselves. It's giving to us out of his own expense, at his own risk, so that we could have what we could never have on our own. Grace. Grace. When we have a genuine encounter with Jesus, you and I will give generously because when grace shows up, greed walks out. It was greed that made him physically wealthy, but friends, it was grace that made him spiritually healthy. It might have cost him half of his possessions, but what he received in return is immeasurable value, knowing Jesus. But grace just doesn't do that. Grace generates gratitude within our life because here's the deal. When we have an encounter with Jesus, it's gratitude, not guilt, that becomes our greatest motivator. Because I could stand up right here and tell you all about the millions of people who are dying and all the millions of people who need your resources. And the reality is I can guilt you into a whole lot of things. Can sell ketchup, popsicles to a lady in white gloves, icicles, the Eskimo, all that. And the truth is, guilt doesn't do it. But grace 
generates gratitude and gratitude, not guilt, becomes a great motivator for the heart of those who've encountered Jesus Christ. How do I know this? Jesus didn't ask Zacchaeus to do anything but get out of the tree and let him into his house. It was Zacchaeus who willingly said, I'm giving half of this away and I'm going to pay back fourfold. Why? To impress Jesus? No, there's a heart that was overflowing with the gratitude of encountering the grace of Jesus Christ. Greg Gilbert, who's a pastor in Louisville, Kentucky, says this, Grace encourages and enables us to serve God out of love for his glory more than that of our own. Guilt drives sinners to the cross, but grace must lead us from there or we cannot serve God. How do I know this? How do I know this? Because it just happened in Luke chapter 18. You see, just one chapter before this, a rich young ruler walked up to Jesus and said, what can I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus, knowing there's nothing you can do, pointed him towards laws to expose his flawed theology. You see, the law is supposed to demonstrate for us our inability to keep it so that we run to the mercy and grace of Jesus. Are you with me? Because you can't keep the law. And scripture tells us if you're guilty of one part, you're guilty of all of it. And so the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and said, what can I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, here's some laws. Boom, boom, boom. And the rich young ruler goes, <laughs> I've done them all. You just, you're like, really, dude? You're like, is Jesus. Like, he doesn't know. Like, come on. I'm always fascinated by that. And Jesus said, that's fine. One thing you lack. Go and sell all your possessions. Give it to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. And the Bible says that he walked away sad because he was wealthy. And then Jesus took this as a moment to teach. Jesus said how difficult it is for the wealthy to inherit the eternal life. And all the disciples said, excuse me, first of all, um, come again with that? What do you mean? If the wealthy, who in their mindset are thinking the, the, the prosperity that they had has come from God, then they must be able to go to heaven. And Jesus is saying the wealthy can't inherit the eternal life because of their wealth. They say, well, who can be saved? And this is what Jesus said. Don't miss this. Luke chapter 18, verse 27, Jesus said to them, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Why? Because it's grace, not works or wealth that gets you in right relationship with Jesus Christ. It is the grace of God at work in our life. Zacchaeus didn't earn salvation because of his good works in this declaration. He demonstrated grace that he had received is now pouring through him. Why? Because an overflow of gratitude. That's what grace does. Grace shows up, greed walks out, and it generates and produces a gratitude, not a guilt. The whole point here is not to guilt us into giving more money because truthfully, the Lord doesn't want your wallet. He wants your worship. If he has your worship, everything else will follow suit. And I think for some of us, friends, if I can just be honest, maybe we don't give generously, not just of our resources, with our life. We don't give generously, not 
because we're greedy, but for many of us, we are giving because we're guilty or we're so burnt out because we feel like we're giving all we got already. Can I just refresh your heart with a reminder of the grace of God? Can I do that for us? Look, I've been doing this thing for a long time. I was, I was in prenatal Sunday school, right? Perfect attendance. My daddy's a pastor. He retired, which just means he doesn't collect a paycheck and he's still preaching. Are y'all with me? Hadn't stopped. I've been in this my whole life. I've watched people come and go be burnt out. People give all they got because they feel like they're going to earn something. Or they've been guilted into doing all of that. And I just want you again to receive a fresh breath of the grace of Jesus and let that drive all that you do. It's the grace of God that saves. Jesus said this in response to what Zacchaeus said. Today salvation has come to this house since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. You see, Zacchaeus was already a son of Abraham by birth, but now he is a son of Abraham by faith. A demonstration of grace that's been poured into him is what we see in the life of Zacchaeus. Romans chapter 4 tells us that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Galatians chapter 3, Paul says, Know then that it's those of faith who are sons of Abraham. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Jesus declared in that moment that Zacchaeus gets it because grace intervened, not the good works. So the question I have for you is, if you and I have encountered the grace of Jesus, is there a spirit of generosity within me? And if not, why not? Let me simply remind you of what God has done for us. In John 3, 16, we know this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten or one and only unique son that whosoever believes in him would what? Not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son to condemn the world, right? so that the world might be saved through him. Ephesians chapter 2, that beautiful, glorious chapter, Paul says, you are objects of the wrath of God. Well, that's bad news. He goes on to say this, but God who is rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us has made you alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And in chapter 2, verse 8, right? For by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves. It's what? It is a gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast. J.D. Greer, pastor in North Carolina, said this, do you see your resources as yours to benefit from or as opportunities to be generous to others? The world, of course, finds it absurd to be this open-handed with our resources. And he asked this, Very striking question. When was the last time your generosity made somebody question your sanity? I stopped and I thought, there's a lot of people question my sanity for a lot of other reasons. When was the last time your generosity caused someone to question your sanity? 
Friends, here's the reality. You and I were made to give generously because we serve a God who has always been generous with his grace towards us. This is our greatest motivator, not guilt, not good work so as we can earn something, but demonstrating a gratitude of the grace that has been given to us. Because friends, anytime our heart is open to receive grace, it should be complemented with hands that are open to give grace. I can hear what you're saying, Brian. I'm not a wealthy tax collector. (laughs) So my encounter with Jesus isn't going to look exactly the same. It's okay. Because the point of the story is not about money. The point of the story is about hearts. Hearts that have encountered the grace of Jesus. You don't have to be a wealthy tax collector to give generously. You simply need to be a faithful steward or manager with what God has entrusted to you. There's a second big truth that I want to encourage us with tonight is simply this. When you and I recognize that we have the king's resources, we can't help but serve sacrificially. When you and I realize we have the king's resources, we can't help but serve sacrificially. Here's what happens right after this. Jesus tells a parable in verse 11 through 27. Like I said, they're on their way to Jerusalem. And Luke tells us that his disciples are beginning to have questions about whether or not the kingdom of God is going to begin immediately when Jesus walks into Jerusalem. And here's the understanding that many of the people that followed Jesus had about the kingdom of God. They believed that Jesus, if he was Messiah over Israel, that his kingdom, this kingdom of God, was going to walk into Jerusalem and begin by overthrowing the Roman government, reestablishing Israel as an independent force, and, and, and see prosperity in the same way that they had under David and Solomon. So the idea was that there was going to be this political, this physical kingdom that was going to take place. Jesus was going to walk into the city and overthrow Rome. But the reality is, we see throughout Scripture, Jesus speaking about the kingdom of God is in your midst. The kingdom of God is near. And there is a now and a not yet aspect to the kingdom. The now aspect of the kingdom of God is every single place where Christ rules and reigns over the hearts of men and women. Anybody who puts themselves under the submission of the king is where the king rules and where the kingdom is. But there's coming a day. What Jesus has started with his first coming, he will end with his second coming when his kingdom will be complete. So there is a now and a not yet aspect. And the disciples of Jesus are saying, it's a now, it's a now, it's a now. Go, 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 get into the city and overthrow Rome. And Jesus told a story about how they should live between the now and the not yet in light of this experience with Zacchaeus and his grace. So Jesus told a parable about a nobleman who was going to go into a foreign country and he was going to go away for a little while and assume the responsibility over the area where he was so that he could begin ruling and reigning over that area. And before the nobleman left, he gave his servants, 10 of them, uh, 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 an amount of money. It's called a mina. It's about three months wages. Gave each of them the same amount. And he told them, I'm going to go away and I'm going to come back and this is what you need to be doing. Right here, right now, you have got to engage in business. Put my resources to work. 
So he goes away, and when he comes back, the first servant comes up to him and says, I took your one and I made ten. And he said, well done, good and faithful servant. You're going to be over ten cities. Second one came up and said, I took your one amount of money and I made five. He said, good, you're over five cities. And the third one came up to him and said, hey, dude, listen. Listen, see what had happened? I took it and I put it in a napkin. That's what he said. And I just kind of folded it up and put it to the side because I thought you were a harsh man. And I thought you you sowed where you didn't reap. And I thought that you took more than you should have taken. And I was afraid. And the nobleman called him out and said, if you really thought that about me, then the smartest thing to do is put my money in the bank. Because when I came back, I'd have it with some interest. interest. And the reality is for you and for me, is that Jesus tells this story because he wants them to realize it doesn't matter if you're a wealthy tax collector like Zacchaeus, but in between the now and the not yet of the kingdom of God, you have been given all that you need to be putting it to work to build the king's kingdom. You have access to the king's resources. He's given you all that you need to do all that he's asked you to do. So the question becomes, what are you doing with what you've been entrusted? We are not responsible for what we have not been given. You and I are responsible for how we use what we have been given. And here's two things that I want to remind you of what you've been given. Every single one of you have been given the gospel of Jesus Christ. You need to steward it and manage it well. Give generously the gospel. Every single follower of Jesus Christ has the spirit that raised Christ from the dead living within them. And you have at least one spiritual gift. Look, I don't have to give you a spiritual gifts inventory. We don't have to have an all-day seminar. I simply want you to walk in whatever God has laid out in front of you. You'll figure it out real quick. Some of you have a gift of hospitality and you didn't know you could use that for Jesus. What a great example of what it means to be hospitable and love Jesus and follow Jesus, welcoming people into your life, not just into your home, into your life. And you don't have to have much resource to be a hospitable person. Every single one of us has the gospel and we have gifts. And every single one of us have access to these resources from the king. So we should serve sacrificially, put it to work as best we can, and watch the Lord multiply what he has given to us. Listen, friends, we can squander it like the younger son in the parable of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. You can squat on it like the third servant in this parable that we just talked about, or you can put it to work. Peter says this in 1 Peter chapter 4, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. Why? In order that in everything God may be glorified through Christ Jesus. And on the back half of Ephesians chapter 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not of yourself. It's a gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast. Paul said this, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we should 
walk in them. The overflow of a life that has received grace is a life that extends and pours out grace. You and I can serve sacrificially because we serve a God who has given us all that we need to build his kingdom. Can I tell you about somebody in my life where I've seen this happen? I grew up, was born in New Orleans, and I grew up 60 miles north of New Orleans in a tiny little town with 4,000 people and 40,000 cows where everybody's in your business. <laughs> oh, y'all, oh, y'all know too? Okay. <laughs> where everybody knew what you were about to do before you even did it, and you were like, wow, I didn't, this, nobody even have a cell phone back then. How do you even know? Like I said, my father pastored the same church for 26 and a half years. A, a church that, that had between about 200 and 300 people consistently on a weekly basis. And what I watched over and over and over and over is men and women with not much physical resources continually use the spiritual gifts that the Lord had entrusted to them to serve and build the kingdom. This is Miss Mildred Collins in this photo. She's the one in the back, just so we're all on the same page. Um, that's me in the white pants. You're welcome. Yeah. I don't, I don't know what was going on, but thanks, Mom. But I'm wearing a shirt that says Bible drills on it. And since I grew up in a Southern Baptist church, this is what happens in Southern Baptist churches. You would have a Bible and you would do Bible drills. It's like quiz bowl, but for Bible nerds. And nothing like a know-it-all preacher's kid with a competitive side to get him amped up, but to put him in Bible drills. This is what happened. And so we memorized passages of Scripture. We memorized how to find books of the Bible in our Bible, and we would have competitions. I share this because when I met Miss Mildred, when I was just a little kid, Miss Mildred was already at least in her 60s. She lived in a single-wide trailer that had very little to offer. She had a car that almost always broke down every single week on the way to church. She had very little physical resources, but I can tell you every Sunday night, year after year after year, she gave her time, her effort, and her energy to pouring in the word of God to know-it-all snotty little bratty boys like me. And I will never recover. I still quote verses from the King James because of Mildred Collins. That's it. That's well done, good and faithful servant. Friends, you don't have to be Zacchaeus with lots of resources. You have all that you need. You have been given the gospel and the gifts. How will you use them to build the kingdom? As we close, the band's going to come and play. And I want to reflect on this with you just really quickly. Really quickly, what if, 
What if God would raise up men and women in the life of this congregation in all over central Florida, whether it's West Orange County, Lake County, whether we're going into Seminole County or any other place? What if God would raise up hundreds and thousands of men and women who no longer saw themselves as just recipients of grace, but reproducers of grace? and took all that has been entrusted to them to serve and to give so that the kingdom would be built. You and I were made for moments like this. We were made to give. We were made to serve. Every single one of us. So I ask you, what are you doing with what God has entrusted to you? How are you putting to work the gospel that's been given to you? the spiritual gifts that have been given to you. Financial resources, sure. We all have time. We all have, well, I've got toddlers, but you might have some energy. (laughs) You have access to the king's resources. We give generously because he has given generously. We serve sacrificially because he's given us all that we could ever need to do all that he has asked us to do. Thanks again for listening to the Horizon West Church Podcast. If you were inspired or encouraged by something you heard today, share it with a friend. For more information like our service times, location, and other info, be sure to visit us online at horizonwestchurch.com. Have a great week.